and welcome to the Beams podcast, where we interview a member of our community about a list close to their heart. My name's Chelsea, and I'm an editor here. If you're listening and you're not sure what Beams is, it's an app that helps you create lists of recommendations, inspirations, and stories to share with your friends, just like my guest this week. In this episode, I'm interviewing the witty and darkly humorous Tom. Tom is passionate about food and cooking and took to Beams to share a recipe he'd learnt whilst in lockdown at home in Munich, Cacio e Pepe. We discussed what compelled him to share this recipe, what it is, why he thinks it's rising in popularity and whether or not he considers himself a, imagine you can see ironic quotation marks here, foodie. Let's take it away. Hello, Chelsea. Thanks. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Beams podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you about your recipe for cacio e pepe. And for the unacquainted, before we dive right in, what Mm. is cacio e pepe? Well, cacio e pepe is a pasta dish. It's a a very lovely pasta dish, actually. Is there more to say about uh, cacio e pepe? Let me think. Uh, It's a well, already, I think the title explains it. You know, the, the nice thing about it is that it's really just two ingredients, or let's say three ingredients, if you count the pasta, and then you have cacio, cheese, and, and pepper. So that's really it. And even though it sounds extremely simple, there is a lot of work and love that has to go into it. And that's what usually makes it extremely lovely and such a nice, simple combination, even though it's really special. Is it a recent dish you've learned to make? Yeah, it's, it's recent in the sense that I've known the dish for a long time and uh, only recently I started getting into cacio e pepe myself, trying to master it and working my way into cacio e pepe, yeah, mastery. Is that, <laughs> that even something you can say about a pasta dish mastery? Probably, yes. I bet there's a lot of uh, pasta masters out there that would definitely say that yeah, is a way you agree. can say. Yeah, but they would probably not call my cacio e pepe mastery. <laughs> Was it something that in lockdown inspired you to learn to make it, you know, being at home, not going to restaurants? Was that something that, that really brought that recipe to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, you know, I've been in a lockdown situation and that gave me a lot of opportunity to all of a sudden discover new things that I have in, in my kitchen. And actually the trigger for cacio e pepe was, well, two things. I've tried it in a restaurant in Rome a couple of years ago and it was lovely, but I never really tried to replicate this home and I remembered and because all of a sudden I had every evening a new opportunity to cook and to try simple things you know everybody stocking up on pasta during lockdowns this big pile of spaghetti and other pasta types and just thought okay what can I do with it you can't just do bolognese all the time or just practice carbonara which is is another you know I think one of those trendy things right now to make the best possible carbonara but yeah, I think the other thing that really triggered it is that my, my mother-in-law, she gives us all different things for our kitchen, that the things that you don't spend your own money on, if you're still like a young married couple, I still consider myself being in that stage, even though we have two kids, but maybe slightly misguided. But anyhow, my mother-in-law, she always gives us these really high quality kitchen items. And we have this cast iron skillet that she gave to us. And because it has no coating and it's not a nonstick pan, so it gets really sticky. 
And I've always looked for things, for ways of, of using this. And then I saw on YouTube that actually it's great for finalizing and finishing pasta dishes. So you prepare all the sauce ingredients in it, and then you take the pasta out of the pot. And this is where you move it in the sauce and it kind of takes on all the different flavors and so on. And it's very important to have something like this for cacio e pepe, keeping it in motion to make sure that there's this emulsion happening between the cheese and the pasta water and the pepper. This pot or this skillet made me take that into consideration Then I started practicing and coming up with my own way. I think many people do it that way, but definitely getting into that way of making cacio e pepe. Mm, how did you learn to make it? Was it a recipe that you found online? Yeah, I actually started also enjoying looking at YouTube videos where chefs from different restaurants and even some of the, the more like everybody knows them, celebrity chefs, they show you their recipes. And it's funny, it's like the synchronicity moment that I had with uh, Gennaro Contaldo, the chef who taught, I think, Jamie Oliver and also the very famous, of course, <laughs> nobody knows him. But in Germany, we know him, Tim Melzer, another TV celebrity chef in Germany. In his London restaurant, he taught them to cook Italian food. And for those of you who don't know Chelsea, you probably know him because you're from the UK. Mm. I can tell by your voice. <laughs> I mean, people who don't know him, he's this a little bit stereotypical old Italian granddad. He actually knows really knows his pasta. And I started watching a few of his videos. And then just two weeks later, he was actually on a TV, on a cooking show from Tim Meltzer. So the guy and learned from him in the same kitchen as Jamie Oliver. And all of a sudden appeared there. And then I started being even more curious about him. And I found his way of doing cacio e pepe. And he's not on Jamie's videos where they always put in like branded ingredients that don't really need to be there. Then his recipes are really authentic. And I started basing it on his way of doing it and then just looked at others. And I found this to be the easiest. The one that I posted on Beams is the one that works for me. Mm, yeah, no, and I'll definitely be trying it out because it looks delicious. And cacio e pepe is something that seems to have just come out of nowhere in the last, I think, two years. Here in London, we have a famous restaurant called Padella and cacio e pepe is their signature dish. And it seemed that they kind of introduced it to London and then every restaurant serves it now. And it kind of feels like the way the avocado on toast was five or seven years ago. Have you noticed this trend as well? The avocado on toast, definitely. The, the smashed, I think you call it smashing, right? Yeah, so, yeah, the smashed avocado. Why don't you call it battered avocado? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could be more of a better way to describe it. I mean, nature's butter, that's what they call avocado, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous, nature's butter. I think if somebody in a restaurant would ask me, would you like some nature's butter? I would probably just politely decline and then stand up and leave, I think. But, okay, so nature's butter. Yeah, technically butter is nature's butter, so it doesn't need it to be replaced. That's true, yeah. Does nature need any butter, you know? That's also a question. <laughs> I mean, is nature enjoying its food without butter? <laughs> But cacio e pepe. That, I mean, these, these stupid puns just come from Germans when you talk to them and they don't really understand how English works. And then you just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I apologize for that one. That's very good. Cacio e pepe, it seems like this is the new big trend. Is this something that you've noticed in the culinary world? It's becoming more popular? Definitely. I mean, enough about the avocado, right? So uh, yeah, Cacio Pepe has definitely has a moment, I think. I'm traveling or I've been traveling before the whole world went crazy. I've been traveling quite a lot to New York, like at least four times 
a year I was there for four weeks, not for four weeks in a row, but four weeks in total. So one week each trip. And I always pre-booked a restaurant for every night so that I could try new things. And if you live in Germany, you're a little bit novelty starved, especially if you don't live in Berlin. I mean, Berliners, they have a bit nicer but outside of Berlin really new restaurants are a little bit scarce at least in Munich where I live and I've noticed also that there is a lot of kachel pepper there and uh, I tried it in one which wasn't so great to be honest but that was more because the, the pasta itself was actually not al dente which at a restaurant supposed to be a really nice place and that was a disappointment but yeah it's definitely there. Why do you think this is? Well, that's a good question. I suppose that it could be related to how just gastronomy is developing to being a little bit more local and authentic. And it's taking like on one cuisine at a time to to get into this. It's actually funny that Italian might be quite late actually compared to others. So for example, Chinese uh, restaurants in Germany, most of the time they're still called China restaurants. They don't even say it's Chinese. It's just the whole country of China and a restaurant. Yeah, that huge country, China. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a massive country with lots of different cuisines and culinary influences, and it's obviously extremely varied. I mean, also been there once and or twice, and wherever you are and whichever type of restaurant you go to in China, obviously you have lots of completely different types of food there that you can try and enjoy. In Germany and, and many other places, I'm always bashing Germany. I mean, I feel like this is not offensive because I'm making fun of myself, but you definitely just have this westernized blend of something that is remotely related to some type of Chinese food. But nowadays, if you go to all the urban metropolis, all those centers where gastronomy is really developing, also now in the Western world, you have Chinese restaurants that take on local cuisines and try to replicate in a more authentic way and people start enjoying it. And maybe this it's the same with Italian cuisine. I mean, we always had Italian restaurants and actually it's true that when you travel to Italy and as a somebody from Munich, now I can say something positive, you know, we always say Munich is the northernmost city of Italy, which is also not really true if you ask Italians. I mean, if you come here to Munich, you will realize we're not at all like Italians, but we, we'd like to pretend we are a little bit. So like Caccio e Pepe is very typical for the city of Rome and the cuisine that is eaten in the city, but also a little bit outside, I believe, if uh, that, I think it's Lazio, isn't that the uh, area around there, the county? Now I'm outing myself with no idea of Italian <laughs> geography, but I, I know. Think, also, I think you're going to out is. me as well because I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time we do this, I need to look up where Rome is on the map and <laughs> before I talk about it, like I know. But I definitely know that cacio e pepe is a Roman dish. People love eating there. And it could be that more and more now, also in a, in a globalized world, people who are into gastronomy and obviously chefs, they're seeking for recipes that have been around and have been great in places locally and, and they try to bring them in a more authentic way to their restaurants and I, I think people enjoy that and, and actually so do I. Mm, I really had never considered that before but it's so true it's an example of Chinese food people become more interested in the localization of that and the same does go for Italian where you think that the whole of Italy can't possibly have just pizza and pasta there's going to be different variations depending on the region so thank you for that wisdom. I had never considered that. And it seems like you're a bit of a foodie expert. Is that something you would classify yourself or a foodie? Not maybe not an expert, but 
Oh, so, so not an expert, <laughs> that's what you're saying. <laughs> no, I mean, you could be an expert. That's a bit rude, I think. <laughs> I'm going to have to backtrack now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm considering myself very much of a foodie expert. You are a foodie expert. <laughs> um, maybe I'm an expert first and a foodie second. Yeah, actually, that, that is what you are. So that when I was, expert, correct, when I was correcting myself, it's because <laughs> I was correcting myself to say you're an expert foodie, not a foodie expert. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, my expertise tells me I can forgive that. <laughs> okay, I'm glad. <laughs> so how do you define that nowadays? Because I think the world is so full of foodies, or how people live today always implies that you have some sort of point of view on food that goes beyond it just being nutrition, you know, just beyond just, oh, I'm, I'm hungry, I need to eat, but actually more of a cultural experience, obviously a sensorial or epicurean experience. And for me, that definitely counts. I do enjoy my food and I also taking inspiration from when I go to a restaurant and then cook at home and try and experiment. So yeah, I think on a scale from like non-foodie to expert foodie, that what we said, <laughs> I'm probably on like a 7.5, I would say. I mean, there's some guys I know who are just insane. You know, they have all the, the equipment and they try to do molecular cuisine at home with jellies and, and crumbles um, and various aggregates of one ingredient. And that's what they have for dinner. I can enjoy that too, but I probably I wouldn't try doing that at home. Mm. What would you say is your kind of go-to um, cuisine to cook at home? Oh, it definitely is pasta nowadays. <laughs> so yeah. I think probably out of seven days, my partner and I, we have two kids. We're not going out for dinner anymore <laughs> at all. I mean, we had a, a wedding anniversary and then my parents looked after the kids and we went to a nice restaurant here in Munich and that was it for three months now. <laughs> so out of seven nights of home cooking, I think we do three to four nights of pasta simply also because we still need to get rid of all the stock <laughs> that, that we bought in the last few months. I don't know about you, but I still can't get out of that bulk buying habit uh -huh. just a little bit, you know, and but now I know like that in Germany. Now, if you see it, you've got to get it because it might not be there when you go back. Yeah, not really conscious, right? In my rational, conscious mind, I definitely know that there is enough pasta. You know, there were sometimes some moments where the pasta shelves looked a little bit empty, but there was always something. You know, sometimes it wasn't exactly the type of, of pasta I wanted. And then there was also the like whole wheat integrale pasta, which I just, <laughs> I think nobody wanted. I mean, think about the insult to the people who make that type of pasta. If people are going to the supermarkets and thinking the world might end, there might be chaos, I might not be able to get hold of food for a couple of months, but I'm not buying this. I don't I'm care. still not buying whole wheat this whole, pasta. This, no, this whole wheat pasta, I'm not touching it. I'd rather starve than eat whole wheat pasta. Exactly. <laughs> I'd rather eat my kids. <laughs> And have this whole wheat pasta. It's true. Yeah. It's true. There was, it was always the only one left on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. An Italian friend of mine told me actually about penne lisce, which are the, you know, the penne rigate with the mm -hmm. little channels. Mm -hmm. Don't know what better word, you know, absence mm -hmm. of that. The, the little, you know, lines where like the, the, the It's like the ridge. The, the sticks. Yeah. yeah, ridge. Yeah, exactly. Even sounds almost the same. So, They're obviously very popular. And the penne for some reason, in Italy, nobody wanted to buy it during lockdown there. So there were like memes going on online with like pictures of shelves where you had like the integrale, still everything there. And for some reason, penne 
So, so if you're Italian, you would appreciate that probably more than, than we do, the mm -hmm. two of us. But <laughs> it seems to be a thing about discriminating different types of pasta. So I've been stocking up a lot, obviously, at the beginning, but I didn't go into complete panic mode. I have to say that also in my defense. But funnily enough, that mindset subconsciously is still there. So we have a lot of pasta at home all the time. I'm not blaming the kids for that one. You know, when you order spaghetti online or something, we, we go a lot more into like online supermarkets, even today as well. And there it's just like, oh yeah, you know what? We'll take three packs. Why not? And in the past, I would have never bought three packs of pasta at, the, at once. Will you be sharing any more of your pasta recipes on Beams? Maybe, maybe. It depends on the response to this podcast episode. I mean, if it's if the fans demand it, then I will. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I will. Um, I'm pretty sure I will because, uh, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, sharing some of the things I do. And I think that Beams gives a great opportunity for that and especially step-by-step -step kind of recipe content. So I think it just lends itself to it and makes it quite easy. And I anyhow do like take pictures of the food I make. I think I, I, I did share another story on beams with just things I made without the recipe. Now I'm embarrassed looking at them a little bit because there are other people on, on your platform that just also do amazing food. And they're, they're really sophisticated. Like there was this guy who makes a chili from drying his own peppers and everything. And I was like, yeah, well, this is a, a foodie expert. <laughs> yeah, that is the, the winner of the title of the foodie expert. <laughs> Definitely nine out of ten. Stuff, oh, wow. <laughs> well, it's been really great to talk to uh, an expert foodie that's the seven out of ten. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Self-proclaimed. <laughs> I don't even know who gives me the license to claim that I am a foodie. I oh, think other well, people should judge that. That is true. If I was to be the judge, I was very impressed by your cacio e pepe recipe and it's inspired me to make my own. I just need to get a cast iron skillet because I don't want to scratch all of my non-stick frying pans. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely an essential for that. I, it breaks my heart seeing that. But you know who doesn't respect non-stick pans is my mother. Mm. And every oh, really? time, I, yeah, yeah, she always takes like a fork and she just goes in there and I'm, it, it breaks oh, my heart. I don't know what to, I know what to tell her. But yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a I don't know, I think sign. they're kind of like a newer thing. So I guess maybe an older generation, they don't get the... That is the the, fra the fragility of the Teflon. Yeah, well, she just doesn't care, I think. I think that she believes, you know, the, I mean, how are you supposed to create all the fond if you don't have any sticky residue at the, at the bottom? <laughs> I don't know. But, I, no, with my, with my mum, I mean, she's come across it and she's through it from a different generation. But uh, I think for her, it's just, yeah, maybe she has too much trust in how lasting they are. That's mm. Yeah, so it's like the 30-year guarantee, we'll see how long it really lasts for. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yep. Well, thank you so much for this great chat. It's, it's been really been great to pleasure. talk to you about, about pasta, which is everyone's favourite topic, but not whole wheat pasta, obviously. Oh, yeah, definitely not. I mean, thank you very much for listening, <laughs> for taking the time to hear my stories about pasta. Yeah, anytime. You can tell that I love talking about it, so... Oh, I love listening. Thank you.